Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. This is our post Super Draft podcast that we said we weren't going to record. Uh, we are we're expe- expecting a lackluster draft, um, considering where the Revolution were seated at 9 and 11. Uh, it's not really an area where you expect to get some of the top prospects in the game, but uh, a pair of players that were expected to go uh, a little bit earlier kind of slid down to the Revolution at 9 and 11. So overall, it was a pretty positive day for the Revolution where they landed a couple of players and made a couple of interesting moves and a couple of trades. So we're here to break it all down in the aftermath. Uh, I'm Greg Johnstone with Sean Donahue. Uh, Sean, we don't get to say it very often, but it was a really, really good day for the Rebs front office, wasn't it? Yeah, it seemed like a really positive one with the exception of the weird second round trade that we talk about later. Um, but they got two guys that I think any, you know, most people expected to go a lot earlier and two guys that I think could really fit um, what Brad Friedel's trying to do as we get into the two of them later. But, I, you know, it's, it's hard to spin this as much other than a, a positive day for the revolution, um, all things considered. Yeah, absolutely. And and we'll kind of go, we'll kind of give a full timeline of the day because news just kept building and building. Uh, first, I think probably the most positive news of the day, too, was they landed Tayon Buchanan at pick number nine. Uh, he's a generation Adidas player uh, forward. Uh, he played a lot of striker in college, but he kind of projects as a winger, uh, played at Syracuse. He's 19 years overall. 19 years, he came out, uh, out as a sophomore. So um, it might be more of a future pick as opposed to a right away pick. But um, as a generation Adidas player, uh, his salary does not count against the salary budget. Uh, some people had him going number one overall, including Matt Doyle, who who in his last mock draft said that Cincinnati was had already decided on him going first. And uh, that obviously <laughs> turned out not to be true. But uh, Buchanan scored eight goals and four assists uh, last year at Syracuse, 12 goals and six assists overall in two years. He was an all-ACC first-team player. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, really, really solid pick. I think anytime you get a potential number one pick overall down at number nine, uh, I mean, that that's an A-plus pick for me. Uh, so, overall, I, I, I love this pick. I, I think a lot of people really like this pick. Uh, Sean, any thoughts on Buchanan? Yeah, I think this is a really exciting pick. Uh, you, you know, you talk about Brad Friedel wanting to do the press, and you got two very, very athletic guys, Buchanan being one of them, and Buchanan being a, a young guy at 19. The question for me here is, you know, we've seen over the years the Revolution have struggled to develop, you know, young players. At 19, he's, you know, he's still pretty young, and I think the the knock on him going into the draft, which is understandable for 19 roles, that he was still, you know, somewhat of a raw talent. Um, so there's, you know, some development to do there for the revolution. Um, and, you know, over the years, the revolution haven't done very well developing young guys, you know, even going back to like a Jamar Beasley or a Saini Niasi, a Kenny Mansali, um, you know, maybe with the exception of Diego Fagundes, who I think some would argue, you know, perhaps should be even further ahead of the more he is right now. Um, that's the question here for the revolution and a big test for Brad Friedel and his coaching staff on whether or not they can develop a guy uh, that, you know, my understanding and what, what we've heard is that he's still, you know, pretty raw talent, but, you know, very athletic, uh, add some height to the revolution midfield or attack as a, you know, six foot tall guy. Um, and, and someone that I think can, can offer a lot for this revolution team that could use a, a burst of pace and, and a, kind of a change of pace on the wings or up top or wherever he ends up playing for the revolution. Um, you know, some people had him going as high as number one in their mock draft. Uh, so for him to fall to number nine in the revolution, 
Um, again, you know, having not been someone that watched a ton of college soccer this year and, you know, just seeing the highlights from this guy, I think he, there's a lot that he can offer to, to the revolution this season um, with his pace and, you know, with his creativity and his ability to take guys on one-on-one. It's just a question of, you know, is this revolution coaching staff going to be better at developing young t- talent than, you know, pretty much every revolution coaching staff historically has been um, because, you know, he, he is raw. Yeah. And, and, you know, you say he's he's six foot tall. He's he's only one fifty three. He, he's still a very young player, a very raw player. I, I don't think I think some people think he's going to potentially get some minutes in year one. And I'm not as optimistic about that. I think the Revolution see him as someone that they can build up. And I'm curious to see. This is the first player out of the draft, at least that. Um, Brad Friel is going to get, and and we are going to see his development. I think Brandon Bay was more of a short-term fit. I, I think last year's people are, are comparing this to last year's draft, and, and I think last year's draft they kind of had a, a need at fullback, and they kind of took two guys that they thought might be able to fill in and be a bench player overall. And and because they took eight, they were eight and nine last year, you kind I kind of expected a similar draft this year where they drafted based on need. Um, you know, maybe John Nelson out of UNC. I, I, the, he was someone who went actually between nine and eleven. Um, he, he played left back. I thought maybe they'd slot him in kind of as a, a depth player behind uh, Edgar Castillo. Um, but instead, I mean, Tejon Buchanan falling down to nine, as you say, a potential number one overall pick. I'm surprised he fell out of the top five. Um, and and you know, you see, I think it was Colorado. They moved up from fifteen to five, and they spent a hundred thousand dollars in allocation to move up to for for that number five overall pick. So top five picks are valuable. Um, so for Buchanan, they, they they essentially got a top five pick at number nine. This is someone who I think does have a future in the MLS. Uh, I do think he has some potential, and I do think he has a high ceiling. So I I, I don't expect him to really contribute a whole lot in the first season because I think that he he is blocked by a number of people um, kind of in that top four uh, on the wings and at striker. Uh, but I, I am curious to see how well they hold him in re- in regards a year from now and if he's going to break through through the depth chart. And I, I really would not be shocked if he does. Yeah, no, I think, as I said, there's a lot of potential here with Buchanan, and it's just a matter of can the revolution develop it. Um, you know, Brad Friedel, obviously a lot of experience in Europe, talked about that, and you know, Europe is known for developing players better than, you know, MLS necessarily is, so I don't know if he's going to be able to take, you know, what he experienced over there, um, you know, not having gone over there as a youth player, but with, with his coaching staff, if they can find a way to develop him. I, I agree that I don't necessarily think he's going to have a huge impact this year. I don't think he's necessarily MLS ready um, right away. Uh, you know, another thing I like to look at is how these guys did in in the PDL, it doesn't look like Buchanan actually even played in the PDL, um, so I'm not really sure what he was doing you know, outside of the college year as far as playing time. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of highlights from him in college. Just, you know, he looked decent at the combine, um, and I think he's a guy that you know was the best available player for the Revolution when they took him, and you can't fault them for that. You know, we talked about before, I think, on last week, how the Revolution could use you know some help uh, out wide on the wings, especially um, a change of pace guy from whether it's Fagundes on the right or whether they try to put Aguadelo back on the right, which I think we both agree is probably not the, the best route for them to go long term um so you know there's an opportunity there for him to step up and and get some minutes this year i think maybe jones is is closer to to doing that this season um but you know we'll see what happens i think it was a a good long-term pick for the revolution if they can prove that they are capable of developing a young player and you mentioned jones uh we'll, we'll talk about him he went two picks later at pick number 11 uh, he's another winger. He came out of Michigan State. He was a second team All Big Ten in 2017 and 2018. Uh, 16 goals, 14 assists over his collegiate career, including six goals and six assists in his junior year. Um, the knock on him was that coming in, he actually wasn't 
too highly, uh, but uh, he really impressed and turned a lot of heads at the combine. Uh, he had a really, really uh, uh, strong combine in the drills. Um, he really showed off his athleticism. He also scored the first goal uh, in the combine games. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, he, he, he probably benefited the most from the MLS combine. Um, last I checked, uh, 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 Matt Doyle had him going at number six in mock drafts. Um, a lot of big board rankings had him going a little bit lower, but, uh, Matt Doyle and a couple other mock drafts I saw had him going above 11. They, they had him as a top 10 pick, uh, based on his athleticism and, and based on his speed. Uh, but again, uh, another guy that kind of fell into the revolution's lap. And I, I think they're really, really excited about him. And considering his athleticism too, as you alluded to, I, I could see Jones getting more minutes than Buchanan this season because he is a little bit older. He's a little bit more proven. He played, he played on a, a ranked uh, team, Michigan State, who had three first-round picks. So he's, he's played uh, with a lot of good talent around him. Um, I could I could see him potentially being a guy that comes in for Juan Agudelo in the closing minutes uh, where he uses his speed to burn guys down the right side. Uh, we don't really know for sure, but I think for pick 11, this is another great pick for the Revolution. We might get some minutes out of this guy. Yeah, you look at the Revolution last year, and they didn't really have a guy that could come off the bench and really run guys into the ground. You know, you look at speed guys in the Revs, there's, there's Bunbury, who's got, you know, decent pace. Uh, there's Farrell that's got, you know, good pace. But, you know, we talked about his improvement in the offensive third, but not necessarily a guy that's going to stretch a defense. Um, but Jones really is a guy that has the potential to stretch a defense. Um, you know, we mentioned the athleticism of Buchanan. Buchanan uh, finished fourth in speed uh, and ninth in power. And these uh, thanks to, to Seth from the Met Musket for, for pulling up, you know, these these stats from the combine. Um, and, you know, he you, you compare him to Jones, who was number one overall in speed, number one in agility, um, and was up there in, in power as well. So the, those two guys are both very athletic. Jones even more so. Uh, Jones even, you know, Brandon By was one of the, the top performers at the Combine the, the year before, and Jones even you know, topped him um, significantly in, in those categories as well. Uh, so I think he's a guy that really could come off the bench and, and scare some defenses. And again, when you look at what Brad Friedel has been trying to do with the high press, you know, pace and athleticism are, are hugely important to Brad Friedel, and it doesn't surprise me that you know, given these guys are available and given how they performed and you know, all the athleticism metrics that they were the picks for, for Brad Friedel. Um, you know, if there's one negative that I could perhaps take from this draft is, is that the picks that Brad Friedel make you know, make me even more convinced that he's going to stick with what he tried to do last year with the press and and really focus on that because both these guys are you know guys that are very capable of helping in that situation. Um, but you know that's kind of grasping to to pull a negative out of this draft. Yeah, and I, I think too we're a little bit higher than what I, I've seen a lot of people there, there have been some people that have graded the, these two picks, uh, MLS soccer has super draft grades and they've rated, they've given the revolution a C plus, which I think is kind of crazy. Um, I mean, they're, they're both very talented players, but, um, I, I think kind of the issue with these picks is that there is kind of a log jam. Uh, I mean, you re-signed Juan Agadello to take that kind of right winger spot. Uh, you just signed Caicedo number two as the striker. You have Diego Fagundes around. You're, uh, linked with Carles Gil, who uh, will play one of these spots, uh, and you have Pena on the left side, so you're you're already kind of stacked in the attacking midfield. Uh, then to take another two players, um, as I say, I think Buchanan is probably a long-term solution for them. I, I can't imagine him breaking in very much, and I think Jones, they kind of see, could be a rotation piece. But I, I worry too that they've just kind of 
overloaded a certain position and, and one of these guys just by the situation is going to fall off the map as a result, similar to what we saw last year with Bai and Mark Segbers. So I'm curious to see what they end up doing and if they loan one of these players out to a USL affiliate, similar to what they did with Mark Segbers last season. Um, but in terms of value, uh, I, I think the revolution, they, had, they definitely got a top five pick in Buchanan and I think they got another top uh, potential <laughs> top 10 pick from what I saw from a lot of the mock drafts. So I think they did very, very well for the position they were in. And, and you know, I also said last week that I would be looking to trade one of these pieces. Um, Brad Friedel said they were not looking to, they weren't in any serious discussions despite what some reports uh, that came out during the middle of the week. So um, overall, I think it was a gamble that ended up paying off very well for the revolution. So um, overall, if, if I was grading these picks, I've seen uh, the Bent Musket 2 has some grades on the Revolution's picks, and they range from uh, B-plus to about a C. Um, so I don't think a lot of people are as uh, positive as we are, but I have I have these picks as an A. I, I think they nailed both these picks. Um, I would like John Nelson to fall to uh, 11, as I say, because I think they have a need at left back. But um, overall, I mean, I, I have no complaints about any of these picks, and I think they nailed it. Yeah, the one point there, and you mentioned the kind of the logjam in midfield, is I think, um, and I think we talked about it last week again, is that you look at where the Revolution could really make an impact signing with a, a DP, and I think we saw it as kind of that, you know, given who they've signed at striker at this point and the logjam they kind of have up there, that if they're going to go out and make a splash as, as, as a DP and someone that can really change the team as a game changer, be it, you know, as a number 10 or as a, a right winger. And with these two signings, that seems, you know, less likely now because that would create even more of a, you know, a logjam up there. Um, but I think they did go for the two best available players at the time their picks came up. And, you know, it's a perfectly understandable strategy at a time when, as we discussed, there's, you know, a lot less in the draft talent wise than there used to be. Um, and the, you know, the talent of the league has gotten up so much as well, too, uh, that the gap between, you know, draftees and, um, you know, the, the, the top talent of, of starters in MLS has, has grown significantly over the years. Um, so w- with that said, and we haven't talked about the, the trade in the second round um, that I don't think either of us really understand, uh, you know, I would probably lean towards a B plus. I think the revolution did a, a good job with this draft, um, but they didn't necessarily fill all the needs you were, you were thinking they might try to go after when you look at fullback that, you know, there's really no depth there, um, particularly at left back. And even at center back, there's a, a lack of depth um, in comparison to what we see as, you know, the attacking players. And I think even at defensive midfield, you could make a case that there's, you know, more of a lack of depth. But again, um, I think the right strategy in the draft now is to go after the best available player. Um, you know, I just would hope that this doesn't stop the revolution from still going out there and, and signing a really creative, you know, attacking minded midfielder that could, could help this team right now. Yeah. And, and again, I, I'm trying not to get too excited because again, I mean, these are lottery tickets. We don't know if they're going to pan out. We don't know how many goals are going to score. We don't know how many minutes they're going to play. We don't, I mean, the best players that are coming up through the, Amer- the American system are already signed to homegrown contracts or they already know what what teams they play for by the age of 22 so um you know these two will they start probably not i don't know if they'll ever be starters in mls i'm as i say i'm more excited about buchanan because he is at such a young age that now he's going to be in the revolution system for two to three years before he gets to a 22 you know, before he'd get to 22, 23. Uh, and, and maybe at that time he is, uh, you know, built out a little bit more as a professional and, and, uh, you know, will find a role on this team maybe to replace Pania or someone down the line. Whereas Jones, I think is more of a short-term fix. I, I will say these two picks too last year, it just seemed like they were drafting on need 
and they were just taking someone and they figured one person will flow spot, the other one will fall off the map. Uh, I could see both of these players being with the Revolution three years from now. I don't think that's that much of a stretch. But uh, will these guys be starters in the MLS? Uh, unlikely. Well, and and the other thing I, we didn't mention was that Jones was you know, very successful in PDL, played multiple years there, and, and last year had five goals and one assist in, in nine games. Um, so he has that to look at as well as his college stats. And you know what? There's been a lot of talk about the the revolution opening up the new training facilities this year. So you know, there's a perfect time to prove with these guys that the new training facilities and the new coaching staff um, can really develop a young player into a starter for this team. Uh, Brad Friedel made a lot of comments at this draft about how this is more his a lot more his team now than it was last year. Um, so he's really got a chance to prove himself this year you know, with the new training facilities, with these new guys. Um, he's molded the team in his image now, and there's an opportunity for for him to take these two guys. And Bradford has shown a lot of loyalty to guys that you know he's brought into the team. These are his guys. Um, an opportunity now for him to develop both of these players and to guys that can have a huge impact in his system. Let's get to a guy that uh, Brad Friedel didn't bring in, but he is shipping out. Uh, Claude Dielna, uh, we thought we were done talking about him, but there was actually a the, – the deal has not been made official from what I can tell. Uh, but it is a heavily reported trade that is apparently done. But Claude Dielna, the rights to Claude Dielna really because uh, his contract option was declined when, when decisions were made. Um, Claude Dielna, his rights are being traded to Portland for $100,000 in general allocation money. Uh, I think this is a big win for the revolution. I think this is by far their best move of the day. The fact that they got anything for the rights to Claude Dielna. Um, Sean, what, what's your thoughts on this move, uh, this incredibly random but wonderful move? Yeah, I mean, this is this is shocking. But first of all, as you tweeted out from the Revolution Recap account, it's important to note that they're not getting his salary off the books because the salary already was off the books. They didn't pick up his option because I've seen a lot of people tweet that out, and that's just not the case. But it's a great move anyways because they're getting 100 k in, in general allocation money, assuming it goes through because, like you said, it's not official yet. And I, I assume Portland's still you know, negotiating the contract with Dielna or, or whatever they're you know trying to do before they make it official. But um, I thought Dielna was long gone. I didn't think the Revolution were getting anything for him. Um, you know, it was good enough in, in my mind that they managed to that you know he was an option year they didn't pick it up and they got his ridiculous contract off the books um you know I, i'm not going to go into how poor dielna was this year or what a, you know, how badly that worked out for the revolution given they tried to make him the, the captain in preseason um which again was friedel's decision so Friedel's guy but he kind of was friedel's guy by the beginning of the year with friedel picking him as the captain um but you know i'm shocked i didn't think another team in mls would come from dl and i think we you know seen him training in, in la a lot and maybe there was some talk that he'd end up there um but i didn't think the revolution would be able to get anything for him so if they get 100k in, in general allocation money you know good for them the the only negative i could see here is now that he's sticking in mls if he does go to portland and performs very well um you know you'll question a bit what the revolution were doing when they you know benched him halfway through the year and, and didn't give him another look uh but at the end of the day getting a hundred thousand dollars and allocation money for a guy that you thought you were going to get nothing for can't really be spun as much other than a positive. Yeah, and what's interesting too is that in the past when the Revolution traded a player's rights, I remember when Jermaine Jones was sent to Colorado, I think they got a first-round pick that ended up being like pick number 20. I think that might have been Brian Wright in hindsight. Um, don't don't fact-check me on that one. I, I, I'm going off of memory here. But usually, I mean, when we, we were talking about it, I mean, Claude Dielna wasn't even with the team for most of the, the second half of the season. Um, it kind of seemed obvious that he wanted to go back to Europe, or at least what we saw. Um, so, I mean, he, he seemed long gone. He was going to fade into the night. Um, and so wh when this trade originally happened, there was about a 10 or 15 minute span where we didn't know the return. And then it was reported that it was $100,000 worth of allocation money. I would have been happy with a second round pick. I would have been happy with a 
with a fourth round pick. I thought they were just moving his rights to to ship him out. Um, I don't know what the negotiation process here was for Mike Burns, but uh, he, he he certainly got a, a decent uh, – 100000 in, in allocation money doesn't sound like a lot, but for a player that wasn't coming back to your team, that is a big win. That is a big win. And what's interesting too is that you say, well, if he goes to Portland, this is going to look bad on the Revs. If Portland is willing to – send $100,000 worth of general allocation money for a player that the Revolution have no chance of bringing back, they, they must hold him in high regards. Uh, so I would imagine if Portland, it, it's rumored that he's going to sign a one-year contract there. I, I assume it's not not been official yet because I assume Claude Yelna is negotiating a contract because he's out of contract. He has no contract currently. Uh, so I imagine Yelna is negotiating a contract there with Portland. And once he agrees to one, I assume the trade will go through. Um, but overall, uh, a plus 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 yeah and good memory with the uh the jones for the draft pick that ended up being brian yes. right because that's right they also yeah, have some but... allocation money in it i'm not sure how much the revs got an allocation money in that deal um because that was before they were super transparent about that stuff uh but no yeah I, I imagine that he's working to negotiate a contract with portland i imagine that portland's going to pay him significantly less than what the revolution paid him um at this point i don't think he's going to be you know a dp level player maybe maybe you know right around the maximum salary uh, reports have already come out that he's not going to be a designated player yeah. which is not a surprise whatsoever well and it, it makes sense too because the portland just announced that um uh, Liam Ridgewell, who was their long-term center back, was leaving the team, so they needed you know some veteran presence. I am very curious to see if that you know if this deal gets completed, um, how he plays for Portland this year. Because you know if you look on you know I I didn't watch him over in, in Europe extensively, but if you look on Twitter, there's a lot of guys that um, you know when he played for Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, at least in that first season, thought he was you know, one of the better defenders that had played for that team. So there's obviously some talent there, even though he didn't show it in New England. Um, you know, I, I thought when he was with the Revolution, particularly towards the end of the time here when he was playing at left back, that he really didn't show he cared. Um, he was pushed forward a lot and didn't really show effort to track back, didn't really show effort to, to play much defense. Um, I don't think he was necessarily happy playing left back, and I don't think he was necessarily happy playing in the, the Revolution's high press or you know whatever it was with Brad Friedel. Um, but, you know, I do think there's probably Probably some talent there, and, and maybe Portland can get it out of him. Um, so that'll be something to watch. As Brian O'Connell said, he had the heart of a striker. And, <laughs> I mean, he, his, his effort on defense when he was playing left back certainly showed that. Um, so Rev's front office having a great day. I think I actually tweeted that out. I said the, the Rev's front office having a really good day. Seems like they can do no wrong. And then the second round starts, and the Revs decide to trade out of the second round. Fine. I'm okay with that. Uh, they trade the number 33 draft pick to DC United, but they also sent next year's third round pick and next year's fourth round pick for DC's second round pick next year. So essentially they traded a second round pick for a second round pick, but also tossed in a third and a fourth, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, Jeff Lemieux did tweet out Mike Burns's reaction. I'm sure Jeff Lemieux immediately went over and was like, what exactly are we doing here? You're going to need an explanation because no one's going to understand it. Uh, here's what Burns said. Uh, Rationale behind this move was to front load next year's draft with a pair of first round picks and a pair of second round picks while sending DC the third and fourth round picks said with the evolution of the draft, it didn't make sense to have six picks in a single draft. Sean, uh, what's your thoughts on this? And, and, and I have a rant too, but I, I think you're going to be able to say what most of what I'm going to say here. Uh, go ahead and, and, uh, give me your thoughts on this move. So there's, there's a lot of ridiculousness to this. I think, you know, this move would make sense if you were somehow trading all those picks to move up in next year's draft. 
But you look at what DC United did this year. They finished fourth place in the Eastern Conference. They did that while you know really struggling at the start of the year and then completely turning things around when they got Wayne Rooney. I'm you know very confident that DC United is going to finish ahead of the Revolution next year um, and certainly ahead of what the Revolution's second-round pick was this year. Um, so I think the Revolution are going to be picking later in next year's draft than they would have been picking in this year's draft with their second-round pick. Um, my other thought is, you know, there are exceptions to drafts where you know perhaps next year's draft is going to be deeper than this year, but on the average, the drafts are getting worse and worse every year. I think there's no question about that as you know academies get better, as there's more teams that are even picking up more guys um, in their regions for academies. The draft is inevitably going to get worse on the average every single year. Um, I have no reason to believe next year is going to be a, a, a deeper draft than this year. I think there was actually a lot of talk that this year's draft was perhaps a deeper draft than the previous year, which makes it even less likely that the next one's going to be better. So I don't really get this trade. And when you know Burns makes those comments about doesn't make sense to have you know, six picks, I think you know again in this kind of justifies somewhat what they did. I don't think third and fourth round draft picks are of really any value at this point. Um, so to me that comment doesn't make a lot of sense. If you have a higher second round pick this year than you'd be getting next year, you know, why not just make the pick this year? I, I don't, I don't, I don't get this. Um, Brian Bolello, I think kind of tweeted tongue in cheek when somebody asked about this, that uh, DC obviously think their pick next year will be much better than, than ours was this year. And we agreed. That's why we made the trade essentially. Um, I think that was kind of a you know tongue in cheek tweet, but I don't think that's the case at all. Um, I think DC United's pick next year is going to be better. Uh, is going to be a lot worse than the Revolution's pick was this year. So I I just don't get it. It seems very bizarre to me that they'd make that move. Um, you know I, I don't think second round picks hold that much value at this point. So it's not like a, a huge boneheaded decision that's going to come back to haunt them. I don't think. Um, but it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I, the way I describe it is this isn't a bad move. It's just a dumb move because I can't logistic like I, I, logic prevents me from wondering why they made this trade. Um, there is a I mean, we don't know what the conversations with the revolution were at that time. The only thing I can think of is there was absolutely no one the revolution wanted. There was no one that they wanted. Um, and so they said, well, if we can kick it down the road, move into the second round next year. And also the third and round, fourth, fourth round picks are lottery tickets, probably not going to be anyone that we care about. And we don't have a USL affiliate, so we don't need these picks. So if we can get out of this year's second round and get into next year's second round, great. Um, but the problem with that is that first off, uh, DC immediately traded the pick to, I think Houston, um, for a goalkeeper. So it seems like DC was the one that initiated the move. So I, I feel like if anyone should have been, if you're swapping a second for a second, I don't know why you're sending DC extra draft picks for them. You, you know what I mean? It seems like we were the ones that had a better negotiating standpoint, whereas DC needs a second round pick to get the player that they want. So I was a little confused at that. Again, this is a little speculation. I wasn't sitting at that, that table. So I, I don't know what the conversations were, but even if the third third round pick and the fourth round picks, like yeah, again, they're they're probably not going to be good players. You're absolutely right. They're probably going to be bodies that might get cut before you know the season begins in 2020. You're absolutely right. But you know what? They're still lottery tickets. If someone hands you a lottery ticket, you're not expecting to win a hundred thousand dollars, but you're still going to play it. It's it's still a potential player that you can bring into camp, and you might find someone who can contribute minutes. Femi was a third round pick. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not – on a standpoint of is this going to 
you know, harm their franchise or harm their roster in the future? No, probably not. And and maybe they are higher on next year's class than this year's class. I don't know if they can project the top 40 players of next year's class already. I don't think they can. <laughs> I, I, I just don't. Um, but the, the, the one other thing, too, that I want to point out, let's say the Revolution missed the playoffs this season, which I don't know about you, Sean. I think that's still very possible. Oh, DC, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> DC finished pretty strong, didn't they, this year? They finished very strong and somehow snuck into fourth after being you know, the worst team for much of the beginning of the year. I want to remember this trade because if DC finishes at the top of the table and the Revs miss the playoff, they traded – a 2019 second round pick and a fourth round pick to move up potentially like five spots because there might not be a big difference between their third round pick next year and DC's second round pick. If you, I, I, I am curious to see how many spots those two picks are because if they're pretty close, this trade looks very, very dumb. And, and I, again, I'm just confused. If it was a second and a second and a fourth, I get it. I get it. But it, it does not make any sense to me to why the Revs were so willing to sacrifice two extra picks just to, quote-unquote, front-load picks next year. Because I, I don't even think that second-round pick is going to be a valuable pick whatsoever. I think it's going to be just as valuable as their third-round pick next year. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And with you know two more expansion teams potentially starting in 2020, that's already you know four, four more <laughs> picks back that it's going to be. So it could... You know, it could actually end up being even a worse pick um, or, you know, right, right around there. It just doesn't I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. to hey. me. And let me let me kind of go. Another thing, too, about the expansion teams. We've noticed from the FC Cincinnati draft that expansion teams actually do use these picks. FC Cincinnati actually sent two hundred thousand dollars to Philadelphia for uh, their entire draft. Philadelphia has no intention of uh, participating in the draft this year, probably not again in the future. Uh, but, but I mean, they, they did have, they, they assigned value to those picks. They're going to bring those players into camp. So you could move the third, you have another year to move those third and fourth round picks for something. Um, there are players that have been that, that around the contract option time are traded for fourth round picks or are traded for third round picks. There's still a value that even if you don't want to use them, you can hold on to them and then use them as bargaining chips for unwanted players later on. We see trades for fourth round picks or, or as a very, very small token of compensation, you know, mid season and, and at the end of the season. So um, again, is this, is this going to harm the team? Probably not. Would those players be anything in the MLS? Probably not. But I'm not a fan of just giving away picks because you don't want six of them. Well, and, and actually, now that I'm even looking at it, I forgot that Austin could potentially start as soon as next year. So there could be three expansion teams next year, um, <laughs> which means that th this pick could be six picks further down, you know, before you even factor in if DC United is better next year than the Revolution were this year. Um, so it's almost impossible uh, that DC would be so bad that this pick would be worse than uh, or be a, a better pick than what the revolution gave up this year. I don't know. It just makes no sense to me. Um, it's not worth spending too much time on because again, you know, second round picks aren't worth that much. Um, I'm, you know, when you talk about what we're going to be watching with this pick, I'm also going to be watching uh, the guy that, that ended up being drafted with this pick, Andrew Samuels, who is a you know, versatile midfielder slash defender who could have helped at fullback with the revolution could have also potentially filled in that defensive midfielder, you know, as a second round pick, there's every 
you know, possibility that he ends up being, you know, nothing for the, you know, nothing as an MLS player. But if he turns out to be a, a decent player for, for Houston, um, you know, that'll be another thing that, that looks bad for the revolution as far as that trade goes. Yeah. And I, and again, I, I think we kind of look at this from a value perspective and, and we got to acknowledge that, you know, there really isn't a whole lot of value uh, once you get past the first round. Um, and I kind of alluded to this earlier. I, I just want to kind of touch upon the Philadelphia union uh, flat out, not giving a damn about the MLS super draft. Uh, essentially they showed up and they sat at their table for about 10 picks and then left. Um, so as, as I mentioned, they traded their entire draft to FC Cincinnati for about $200,000 worth of general allocation money. Um, it is noted that Philadelphia has a pretty strong Academy and they do promote a lot of players out of their Academy. Um, Ernst Tanner, uh, they're not general manager. I, I believe he's the director of, player personnel. He has some other title, but he's basically the general manager. Uh, he pointed out to a reporter that the number of players under 22 at the combine, there's eight of them and they have eight players under contract uh, within their system already. So essentially it would just be redundant for them. And I think this kind of proves our point that we, we talked about last week about how uh, with these homegrown academies, uh, there really isn't a whole lot of room with the super draft anymore. I mean, these are essentially players that have kind of slipped through the cracks. Um, there is some talent, as we say, there are some players that maybe blossomed a little bit later on and blossomed in college. Uh, but overall, I think on the whole Philadelphia flat out trading a draft, uh, is more or less proof that the super draft is, is diminishing in value year after year. One last point I'll make about the trade is when you look at, you know, the last year's draft, a lot of teams passed in the fourth round. Some teams even passed in the third round. So when you're talking about third and fourth round picks, it's possible in 2020 there's not even a fourth round. I wouldn't surprise me at all if, again, given expansion, that they get rid of the fourth round entirely and that pick ends up being nothing. I don't know what the contingency would be on that trade um, if a pick just disappeared because the round didn't exist. But it honestly wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, come 2020 there is no fourth round of the draft. Yeah, I know we don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but the more I, I can go on for days about why this doesn't make any sense. Why would you why would you give an Eastern Conference team to like two players they can loan to their USL affiliate and develop to? Uh, OK, I'm going to I'm not going to rant any more <laughs> about this, but you're right. I, we, we could go on a while on this trade. Um, and I, I don't want to because it, 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 it again, as I say, it's not a bad trade, but it's probably just a dumb trade. More, more uh, importantly, why are you the revolution without a USL affiliate? <laughs> that is another rant for another day. Uh, <laughs> well, and, and speaking of that too, uh, well, getting back to what we're talking about, about the diminishing value of the super draft, um, it was reported that a lot of teams are getting draft advice from their Uf USL affiliates because USL affiliates are probably going to be the destination for a lot of these picks outside of, you know, potentially the first five or 10, they're probably going to send some of these players down to USL, play another year or two. I mean, if the, if the revolution had a USL affiliate, I wouldn't be opposed to Buchanan playing his age 19 slash 20 season at a USL affiliate and kind of getting used to a higher level of competition before getting promoted to the senior team. Like, I, I think that's totally reasonable. I think a lot of teams are, are doing it the right way of kind of sending them and kind of playing in a minor league system first, instead of giving them valuable minutes at the major league uh, soccer level. I, I, I think that's a, that's going to be where the draft goes in the future that it's basically just feeding USL affiliates. No, absolutely. And it's, it's disappointing that from, you know, what we've heard, the, the uh, potential affiliation with Hartford hasn't worked out at all as planned and it doesn't really seem like it's going to be a thing. I imagine it'll be a destination where the revolution might send one or two guys anyways. Um, and, you know, to be fair, there's a you know couple other teams in MLS that I think don't have affiliates. I think LAFC 
drop their affiliate this year. And I think the crew still don't have an affiliation. Um, and, and Cincinnati doesn't have an affiliation yet, which makes sense as an expansion team. But they, mm-hmm. I th- my understanding is they plan to have a, a USL team a year from now, their own team. So, it, you know, it is very difficult for the revolution um, to not have that affiliation and not have a guy that can just loan guys out to, you know, they say they try to find the best situation for guys for them to play. Uh, but, you know, you have a team in Hartford where guys could still theoretically come back and, and train with the first team and, and get some minutes for Hartford, um, where if you're you know shipping a guy off to San Antonio or something, they're not going to be getting any visibility with first team training uh, because it's just too far away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one more kind of quote I just want to read. Uh, from uh, the technical director of the union, Ernst Tanner, who hates the super draft more than we do. Um, he, he told reporters Wednesday night after making this trade, quote, uh, the level of MLS has increased a lot. And I think the, at the, that the level at the universities has been more or less the same. There's quite a big gap out of what I've seen. There are a lot of players who are quite okay for the USL level, but it doesn't make us better in MLS. Uh, that's a pretty harsh criticism too, of the talent level that they're quite okay for the USL. Uh, Tanner went on to say, considering the quality we've seen, there are a few good players, but regarding the fact that we have the 13th pick and the best players are already gone and the best players are already gone, uh, we decided to trade our draft rights to Cincinnati who are in a better position for them, uh, which I think is the correct assessment too. I think if you are a team that is really building up your academy, you don't really have a lot of, you don't want to bring in players who are new to your team at age 22 and and try to build them up. So I, I think they have a straight head on. Um, what to do. And I, I'm, I wonder if he regrets those comments seeing uh, Buchanan and Jones fall to nine and 11. Maybe there was a player that they thought would go top five. I mean, mock drafts and, and you know, they're, they're really kind of crapshoots. I feel bad for Matt Doyle and anyone else who has to, to do these because it never turns out the way you expect. Usually most sports, you know, and who the number one or number two player is, you can kind of project out, you know, the top 10 of the NFL draft, whereas the MLS, it's, it's very, very random and things change a lot during the last week. So I wonder if maybe there was one of those players that Tanner thought might be a good fit for the union after seeing how it played out. But um, it, I, I don't think he regrets uh, taking the allocation money and leaving early. Yeah, and it's become even more of a crapshoot as the, the you know the a lot of the talent has gone to the home homegrown players that way. Um, but you know, you look at it from the other side. I, I don't really understand what Cincinnati's strategy is. Um, I actually would sort of get what they were doing if they hadn't already signed you know ten USL guys before this. They've made a few decent moves, and you know, credit to them for signing Ozzy Alonso, a fantastic defensive midfielder. I think is going to be a huge boost to this team. Um, and they've you know gotten guys like Kendall Watts and Greg Garza, you know, very good MLS players. Uh, but at the same time, you know, in in 2019, if you're going to be competitive, I don't think you can take up you know 20 roster spots with USL guys and draft picks. Um, I don't know if it's a you know a long term play for them that you know maybe half these guys will still be on the team next year or maybe half the guys will even make the roster this year. Um, but I don't really get what FC Cincinnati is doing. But if you're you know, a Revolution fan, I think you look at that team as one of the teams that's going to finish below the Revs this year, uh, based on what their strategy has been so far. And unless you have any other thoughts, I think we're going to hop over to Twitter questions, if that's okay with you, Sean. No, that's, that's it for me. My only disappointment here is uh, looking at the guys that got drafted, that the Revolution didn't get some uh, more of the exciting names like uh, Tucker Bone or <laughs> or Reese Buckmaster. There were some good names in this draft. And, you know, if the Revolution failed in one area, it's giving us uh, some some fun names to make puns off of. 
no comment. Um, <laughs> moving on. Uh, so Twitter questions and comments uh, on the draft. We had a reaction from uh, at Blifkin. Uh, great offensive potential potential with this duo. Given our squad and demands of our game, I don't think they don't contribute, uh, which is, I think, more or less what we kind of assess. I think they will have some role to play on this team. I, 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 I think this is probably the uh, first draft in a while where I can kind of see the two players contributing to the revs. Uh, but uh, he also says, uh, pleasantly surprised by Brad. I, I I agree with that assessment overall, don't you? Yeah, no, I, I'm very impressed with these draft picks that they got. Um, again, the the one disappointing thing to me is, as I mentioned earlier, how they develop a young guy like that, um, particularly without a USL affiliate. You know, when you look at a Buchanan, um, if you don't think that he's going to be a guy that gets first team minutes right away, and I'm you know not sure that he is, you know, an ideal situation would be to be able to mold him, you know, at the Revolution's new training facilities, you know, with the Revolution's coaching staff, and turn him into what you think um, will fit into this Revolution team, but also find a way to get him first team minutes. And you know, even Hartford's a little bit far, but if you had a, an affiliation with Hartford where you know you know we're going to send you three guys to go in and, and start, and maybe they're going to train with us during the week, but they'll go down there and fit in for you. That would be an ideal situation for Buchanan. Um, so I, I hope that the revolution can find a way to, to get him minutes somewhere um, if he's not going to jump right into the first team um, and still find a way for the revolution to train him and for Brad Friedel to kind of train him in, in the image that they want him to be uh, for this revolution team. But I think the revolution did a, a great job drafting two guys that you know could have a long-term future with this team and, and help the team uh, in an area of need, which I think is, is pace down the wings and pace in the attack. Um, both of those guys certainly fit the bill in that area. And kind of keeping with that uh, uh, assessment, uh, we got some tweets from Any Revs UK, our uh, probably our biggest fan uh, across the Atlantic. Uh, he gives his thoughts on the draft picks too, uh, similar to what you're you, we're saying here, Sean. Uh, he said he was surprised that Buchanan didn't go sooner. He adds competition, maybe not this season, but potentially next season for the likes of Pinea and Diego. Uh, we need players not to be comfortable. They need to know one bad performance uh, and another player comes in. Uh, he also says that uh, where you can see Buchanan getting minutes this season, Jones, he's not so sure. Uh, great future piece. Uh, just can't see him in front of Anking, Firmino, or Buchanan on the depth charts. Uh, if we don't plan on using him, I want to see him uh, in the USL. Um, I actually would, for year one, I'd switch the two just based on age. Because again, I, I think it's it needs to be stated Buchanan is 19. Uh, so I, I, year one, I, I don't have a whole lot of expectations for him. I think he is a very, very long-term piece. Whereas I think Jones, they might be able to give minutes to. Um, so that's really the only thing I, I'd really disagree there. I also think maybe thinking he's taking that either of them will take minutes from Diego or Pania might be might be overestimating uh, uh, their value overall because again um, these these players probably won't be as valuable as homegrown players um, but I, I do think they will be in the mix somehow. Yeah, and and like I said with with Diego, I I expect that Diego is going to play a lot more on the right wing now, um, and I think that they need to change the pace there for that. I think Diego's you know a fantastic player. We've saw what he can do offensively. He can contribute to this team. I think he's a good guy that can play on the wing, um, but he's not necessarily a guy that's going to to stretch the the field with his pace or really get down to the end line and, and send it across. Um, if either of these two guys can develop into that, I think there's a lot of minutes for them, you know, as rotation guys or as guys off the bench uh, to do that. Um, and again, you know, pace and athleticism, there's nothing that, you know, Brad Friedel likes more than that with, with his system and what he drives home and how much emphasis he puts on fitness. Um, so, you know, based on that alone and, and based on Friedel's willingness to, to give guys minutes that we didn't necessarily expect we're going to get minutes, you know, just think of Matt Turner, um, you know, nothing would really surprise 
Wiseman this year, but I do think that, you know, Jones is probably closer to first team minutes just by, you know, virtue of him having, you know, more time in college, more time in the PDL and being a couple years older and, you know, turning 22 this summer, there's more emphasis that, you know, he should contribute right away um, and, and less time to develop. Uh, any Rebs UK also uh, wanted to know if we knew why they traded three picks for one. I don't want to go down that road again because we could spend another 20 minutes on it, and it's quite a minor move. But I do want to point out something that just kind of occurred to me. Matt Turner was an undrafted free agent coming out of college, wasn't he? Yeah, I think that's right, and there were so obviously I, I, no expectations there. I mean, talking about a lottery ticket panning out, I mean, he, there could be another Matt Turner in the fourth round. So, um, I mean, it just kind of further strengthens the point of, you know, yeah, these are picks are probably not going to be very helpful and, and probably have next to no value, but there is still a little bit of value. And if you can, you know, hit the jackpot on one of these, it, it you know, we shouldn't be giving away picks for free. And, and Turner uh, is certainly a guy that benefited a lot from a, a USL loan. Um, got correct. You know, 27 games in the in the USL with the Richmond Kickers, um, which I think was was huge for his growth. And you know, probably a lot bigger for a guy like him that you know came into the league at at Jones's age than a guy at Buchanan's age, who again um, is a lot further from being a finished product. Um, I think it, it's a lot more helpful with a guy like him that you can send away to a team like Richmond. And, and, and for a goalkeeper, too, it probably matters a bit less to be integrated into a similar system of, of what the you know the first team is trying to do. Um, but he was a guy that certainly, you know, the USL loan helped him a lot. And he, he, he mentioned that, too, on the Far Post podcast. He had an interview when he got the starting job. Of, uh, so it was early in the season last year. He had an interview where he said, you know, going and playing in Cincinnati and, and playing in these kind of tougher road scenarios in the USL gave him a, a little bit of experience and really contributed to his growth. So, um, no, you're, you're absolutely correct about that. And it, it kind of stresses the need to why the revolution don't have a USL affiliate, um, particularly one that is literally just down the road in Hartford. I don't know. Um, moving on. Uh, Zach Grimes has a couple of questions. Uh, he asked about the playing time between Jones and Buchanan, which I think we've kind of covered already. So I'm going to kind of skip over that. Uh, but he asks, uh, is this finally looking like a Brad Friedel team and are the Revs making the transition into a young and promising team? Uh, Sean, what are your thoughts? I mean, this is looking like a Brad Friedel team. He's molded this team in his image. Um, he had an opportunity to perhaps make more changes than he did. Um, I think he picked up more options of contracts than we thought he would. Um, but undoubtedly at this point, this is Brad Friedel's team, um, if they don't perform the the way he wants them to this season, this is now on him, and there's no more excuse of this isn't my team. This was Jay Heaps' team, or you know, the guys that were here for a long time don't have the right mentality. Um, you know, like I said, these two guys are, are very athletic players and guys that certainly should fit into a high pressing system, and you know, should be able to run for 90 minutes and, and push guys and cause turnovers with their athleticism. Um, so yeah, this this does look like a Brad Friedel team. Um, can Brad Friedel, you know, turn that team into a winner? Um, I don't know, but it's, it's on him now this year. I think there's no more excuse there. Um, and is this turning into a young promising team? You know, there's a lot of, you know, very young promising players on this team. Now, um, it's up to Brad Friedel to play those guys. And I'm very curious to see what happens this season, you know, with hopefully a, a healthy and King, um, with these new young guys from the draft with Firmino, whatever he contributes. Um, I think Hervu is, is now starting to get on the older side for someone that hasn't really contributed anything yet. So I don't know what to expect from him. Um, but, you know, Brad Friedel has an opportunity to play Anking a lot more this year. He has an opportunity to play these you know, draft guys and give them significant minutes. Um, and there's an opportunity to turn this into a young, promising team. But if these guys just end up, you know, sitting on the bench and not really developing, then, then, then no, it's not a young, promising team. It's just a team with some young guys that uh, aren't there yet. 
Yeah, I, I think too, when we think about Ang King and we think of Firmino and Diego Fagundes, if he's still with his team long term, he's still only 23. And then we add Buchanan, who's 19. Um, I, I, I can't stress that age enough. Uh, there are some young, exciting players here. Uh, and, and, and maybe Justin Rennix. Maybe Justin Rennix. Uh, he's apparently close to signing with the Revolution, which we have been really stressing over the last few weeks. So um, that's going to be he, that's going to be bigger news than any of these draft picks um, uh, that were taken uh, yesterday. So very exciting that uh, the Revolution are are kind of building a young core that might not be able to contribute in 2019, but uh, maybe get some minutes in 2020, 2021, and, and uh, you know, maybe take over some starting roles in the future. It, I, I do think that there is a lot of, there's a lot more promise long-term uh, under Brad Friedel than there has been uh, in a long time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you mentioned Justin Runnix. We had talked about him last week. And you know, right after that, the the news came out. Um, I believe it was Brian Scariata. I'm probably botching that name miserably that, that tweeted out that you know, things were getting closer there. I'm trying to find the exact quote. I don't have it in front of me right now. Oh, he said, hearing that Indiana University and, and U.S. U24, Justin Runnix is getting close to finally signing a homegrown deal. Uh, with the New England Revolution, um, so we haven't heard that officially yet, but you know that's you know great news for the Revolution if that does happen, because as we you know we've talked about before, he's a very you know phenomenal offensive talent and has a lot of promise. And as another guy that you know Brad Friedel could could look to develop into a, a starter or maybe even a star for the future for the Revolution, um, and would be you know devastating for the Revolution to miss out on a homegrown guy that has so much potential and you know is playing for the youth national teams and uh, you know has interest from overseas. So that it's you know an interesting development could be very good for the revolution if they can somehow make that happen in the next couple of weeks um, because you know just a week ago it sounded you know very negative on that and Brad Friedel was asked about him after the draft um, and was very positive about Justin Rennix which um, you know maybe he wouldn't been have been as effusive if it they weren't getting closer to signing him or if it wasn't going to happen um, so that's you know so another thing that could really help the revolution and could turn them even into even more of a you know young promising team going forward. One other big piece of news, and we got a, a question about this. Luca asks, with Carles Gill's uh, situation in the air, how probable do you think it is that we see another high-end roster signing before the start of the preseason? Uh, just for a little context for the people that uh, are, might be out of the loop on this situation, uh, Carles Gill uh, is currently playing in Spain in uh, the second division. Um, he has some appearances in La Liga and the Premier League. He played uh, 74 games in La Liga, 28 in the Premier League. Uh, he is... Rumored to be tied with the Revolution, although since the initial report, it came out that he's also tied to LAFC and another team that slips my mind. It might be Cincinnati? I believe it's Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, no, it is Chicago. It is Chicago. Uh, but he's kind of fallen out of favor there uh, in Spain. Um, kind of a weird situation where he was playing for Aston Villa, uh, went down and played. He was he went on loan for one year, played pretty well. Uh came back for a second year on loan for Deporto de Corona. Um, but from what I read, he had a surgery uh, and then there was a new manager who he kind of fell out of favor with. And so um, he's right now playing kind of a rotational role in the past few years. He's been playing as a right winger mostly, but he has played a uh, central attacking midfield in the past, uh, including in the premier league. Uh, so, but, but for the most part, he's been playing uh, right wing in, in, uh, last season and two years ago. It uh, should be noted, though, that this season he's been playing kind of more of a number 10 role. 14 of his 19 appearances, although they're not all starts, uh, have come in the uh, central midfield. So, uh, Sean, uh, first off, do you think that these rumors will pan out, and do you think the Revs are going to be landing the Spaniard? And second of all, if not, 
do you think we will see another high-end roster signing before the end of the preseason? Yeah, I don't know what to make of this one because there have been so many rumors. When it first came out, it seemed like he was heading to the Revs, and then it came out that no, Chicago LFC are interested. And no, there's other La Liga teams interested. And, he, and there was even a report that said he was more interested in staying in La Liga and was unsure about coming to MLS. Um, so, you know, if I was a Revolution fan, I wouldn't get my hopes up too much that this is going to happen. Um, I don't know where to place the odds on this one because the reports are, you know, kind of conflicting on it. And again, it's it's not uncommon that we see agents overseas use MLS interest or, you know, even, you know, perhaps fake MLS interest to get their guy a a better deal somewhere else. Um, So I I think he could be a good addition to the revolution. uh, But I certainly would not get my hopes up that he's coming here until a deal is actually done. Um, You know, if if Carlos Gill actually did have interest from LAFC and the revolution and, you know, LAFC offered him the same offer as the revolution, um, you know, I would assume he'd go to LAFC and I wouldn't (laughs) wouldn't blame him for that. but, you know, maybe the revolution can, can outspend them to sign him. I don't know. But uh, I, I wouldn't get my hopes up on him. As far as, you know, will the revolution make a, a, a splash with another signing? I also don't think Carlos Gill um, would would be a signing that moves the needle that much for this team. And that's almost where I'd be a little bit disappointed if the revolution were to, to make that make that signing because as we talked about before um you know they they went out and got Caicedo to be their striker which is you know perhaps a a good upgrade for them but not a superstar and not a you know really a game changer for this team they went out and got Edgar Castillo to play left back who you know is one of the top left backs in the league but again not necessarily a, a game changer um and I think if you look at that attacking midfield spot as I was talking about with the draft picks you know that's an area where they really could go out and sign a serious DP you know Ignacio Piatti type level guy that could really change this team and I don't think Carlos Carlos Gill is that guy you know he's another adequate piece that could help this team um but he's not a guy that to me is has shown he can be really a game changer for this side um and you know will the revolution go out and sign a a guy that could be a game changer between now and the start of the season um i'm getting less optimistic about that i don't think they necessarily will i think they're happy with the pieces they brought in and i think the pieces they brought in make them better uh, but i still think they're missing that you know final piece um you know in addition to lots of depth pieces as we've talked about but i still think they're missing that final piece to put them over the top i don't think gills that piece um and i'm not sure they're going to get that piece before the season starts I, I also am, am curious, too, that if you bring him in, why would you re-sign Juan Agudelo? Um, I, I I believe that they are probably tied to him, um, but I also believe that other teams are tied to him. I believe his agent is looking elsewhere because he has kind of fallen out of favor with his current squad. Um, and he just seems like he's someone that can be a lot better than a rotation player for a uh, Division II side in Spain. Um, Seth McComer uh, of the Bent Musket tweeted out a couple hours ago. He said, you know, I don't have insight knowledge of this, but a lot of times agents will hype up interest from other teams to essentially boost their market value. And I think that's what's happening here, especially being tied between tied to two other MLS teams. And apparently he's got some suitors also in Spain. Um, so I, I think overall, I, I think the Revs are – uh, they, they might have interest, but this isn't like uh, a Caicedo where we hear his name and, you know, we, it, it's not like Caicedo. We heard him tied to two or three other teams. It was kind of a signing that we were pursuing and we signed. Um, I, I don't think we land him, especially two weeks away from preseason. I think uh, Juan Agudelo re-signing him kind of kills bringing in another right attacking midfielder. Um if we do sign him too, I, I think the person he replaces Diego Fagundes, which is kind of crazy to say, but um, I, I don't know where he would fit. And I, I can't imagine them bringing in another Tam player uh, to ride the bench. 
So um, I, I think in terms of big name signings, I, I think they're done. Um, and, and personally, he's 26 years old. As I say, I, I think there's already – they signed Juan Agadello. I, I think they're kind of set for the the attacking slots and at striker. So, I, I mean, I'd, I'd prefer them go out – if they do sign a big name player, um, I'd rather them sign a, someone who's 22, 23, uh, maybe a, a cheaper salary figure, maybe less of a transfer fee uh, than uh, uh, Carlos Gill, who, who it sounds like is – Maybe not in high demand, uh, but there's certainly going to be multiple bids out on him. Can we just talk about like roster construction for a minute too? Because you you look at who the Revolution have brought back and who they're signing, and let's say hypothetically they sign Justin Rennix, which it sounds like they might, which would you know be fantastic. But then you look at who you know players whose primary position is striker. They have Bunbury, they have Aguadello, they have Caicedo. They brought back Brian Wright, uh, and and from what we've seen so far, Frida likes to play one striker. And yes, you know. Bunbury and Aguadello can can play on the wing if necessary, um, and I think Renix can as well if necessary. Um, but then you know at those positions now you have Jones, you have Buchanan, you have Pania, you have Fagundes. Um, it it just would strike me as bizarre to then go out and, and get Gill because you know if you're talking about a young promising team now there's really no minutes for those you know young promising guys, um, and then you know there's even more of a, a logjam in the center too and you, you know you brought in Firmino you have Heravu you have Caldwell you have Gaiseta you have Zahibo. Um they're really loaded up on on midfielders and forwards and I don't think any of them are really you know game changer type guys so I, I just I'm not really sure roster construction wise what the thought would be in, in bringing in Gill I think if you're going to add another person there they, they really need to be a difference maker and yes Gill probably helps this team but I just I, I don't know I just don't think it's enough uh, if they're going to go out there and make him you know pre- potentially a DP um I think the expectations were after last season, or the hope was anyways, after last season, that the Revs would really go out and make a splash and bring in some guy that can can drive this offense forward. And I, I just don't think that's Gill, and it just doesn't make sense to me, you know, as we talk about this team becoming more young and promising to, to spend a lot of money on a, a 26-year-old guy that's had, you know, played in the Liga and, and played in EPL. But, you know, again, it's it's hard playing for a lot of teams that were relegation fodder in those leagues and being an offensive guy. But the stats really don't show that, He's ever been that much of a game changer for any team. And MLS is a lower level, obviously, than the Liga or EPL. But I, I, I would hope that the Revolution could maybe make a splash with, as you were saying, a, a younger guy, maybe from South America. You look at the guys that Atlanta United is bringing in um, and, and that level of player and, and those type of game changers. I just don't think he's that. Yeah, and, and and you read articles on him, and everyone says he's never lived up to the hype. Um, if you look at his value on transfer market, at, at one point it was 7 million euros, and it's down to 1 million euro. Um, certainly he's had uh, a lot of injury issues over the years. Um, but yeah, on, on the grand scheme of things, does this move the needle a whole lot for me? No. I mean, he, he'd be a starter. I certainly think he'd get a lot of minutes with the revolution, but it'd make me question, you know, what are you doing with Diego Fagundes? What are you doing with uh, Juan Agadello? Um, if, if you don't re-sign Juan Agadello, I, I, I think this makes a lot more sense. Uh, but right now I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see where players land position wise. Uh, so, but I, I overall, do I think Gil would be a home run? No, it, it might be a stand-up double, but you're right. I, I think at this point, they're kind of looking at their roster and they're looking at the teams above them. And uh, as I say, I think Brad Friedel wants to go in and focus on youth. And 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 we do criticize that trait and we do criticize uh, uh, Mike Burns' quote, which, again, still makes no sense to me. But I, I, 
I still got to give them credit. That sounds like by front loading the draft, um, they're focusing on bringing in young players year after year. So I, I, I do think that youth is a priority for them. I think they know the fastest way to catch up to guys is acquiring, acquiring players between the ages of, you know, 18 and 24 and not 26 to 32. Um, Edgar Castillo obviously is the exception to that. Uh, but, um, I, I on the grand scheme of things, this is a guy that that really kind of strikes me as a Band-Aid instead of a, uh, a cure. And um, I, I just don't think they need a Band-Aid right now. I'd, I'd rather go into the season with uh, uh, Diego Fagundes as your 10. Yeah, and, and if you bring Gill in, I think that's it for attacking signings for the Revolution this offseason. And, you know, you look at the roster, and I think it's still, you know, as far as attacking players goes, a, a little underwhelming at the top. Um, for you know, top quality MLS team at this point in, in, it, in 2019, it'd be quantity over quality, and I think that's why it's the head scratcher for me. It it doesn't it doesn't. I feel like the team didn't improve much more than what you're signing him. You know what I mean? It, if you're going to go out and get a get a quote unquote big name acquisition, I think it's got to move the the needle for me a little bit more as opposed to getting someone who is better than Diego Fagun or, or better than Juan Agadello. It, it just seems to me that this is quantity over quality at this point. Right, because unless they have some more you know, trades up their sleeve to, to offload some people, and there's already a, a lot of quantity and there's already a lot of young, promising right. talent. And if a, you know, even a couple of those young, promising talent you know, show up, then you have you know, plenty of depth. It's just the, the top of the roster guys that are, are lacking. And you know, Gil would presumably be one of the top of the roster guys, but he's is, is he going to be that much better than Diego Fagundes? Um, I'm not really convinced that he would be. So I, I, I don't know. I just don't know what the thought process would be there, especially when, you know, you could use more of that level guy at a defensive midfielder role where I think the revolution could still improve a bit, um, mm-hmm. at, you know, even with that kind of level of acquisition um, or, you know, in defense. So I, I don't know what the thought process would be. With um, I think if you're going to make another attacking signing, it really has to be a, a true game changer true you know a guy that you play the offense through and i don't think that's gill so uh overall to to stepping away from gill for a minute um sean do you have an overall grade on the revolutions day yesterday we're talking uh the two draft picks uh the potential trade of claude gielna uh and then uh the second round pick what, what would you give their grade overall and, and actually maybe why don't we do a grade if the gielna trade goes through and if it doesn't yeah, I mean, just based on the first the first round alone, I give them probably an A minus, um, and then you got to take something away for the weird <laughs> the weirdness <laughs> of what they did um, in the second round, and um, that maybe brings them down to a B or B plus. And then if the Giala thing goes through, then I you know I'll give them an A minus. But I think overall, um, with the Yelna, it's an A minus. Without them, it's probably a, a B plus. Yeah, I, I actually give them a straight A. I think they, they nailed it yesterday. I think they got definitely, as I say, a top five player and then another top 10 pick at 11. Um, as I say, I, I, I was texting you. I, I really wanted John Nelson because I think there was actually a path for him. Uh, I, I But, you know, Buchanan and Jones, I, I think, are two guys that actually might compete for minutes in, with the Revolution. Uh, so I'm excited to see uh, if it turns out well. As I say, I'm not trying to put too much stock in these guys because it's the Super Draft uh, and Philadelphia literally – wanted nothing to do with it uh so but i I actually think these are guys that are going to contribute and that's the first time that i can say that about uh players in a while um the only and of course the yelna move we love um the head scratching move i i i I know we've spent a lot of time talking about it confuses the hell out of me but uh at the end of the day it really doesn't hurt their team too too much i i kind of get the logic 
even though on paper it looks really silly. So um, I give him a straight A, and I think no one else has done that. So I'm going to be as optimistic as possible on these guys. But I, I think it was as good of a day one uh, as you can uh, imagine. So um, kind of some other notes just to wrap it up. Uh, the 2019 uh, schedule was released last week. So if you haven't checked out uh, those dates, uh, I, I recommend you to go do it. Plan your road trips now. Uh, and also we talked about some players that signed last week at uh, Femi Hollinger, Hollinger Jansen. Uh, signed with Birmingham in the USL. So he's reunited with uh, Jay Heaps uh, d- down south. So um, good good for Femi. Uh, good to see a, a rev- former Revolution player uh, signing and, and continuing on their career. Um, Sean, you got any other uh, notes to wrap up with? Well, just as we were doing this podcast, another article came out about, about Gil, and it's not too helpful, but it, um, they asked his coach about what's going to happen with him next um, and the the Google Translate version was, I know there is something, but I do not know what will happen. Um, so it sounds like he is on the move somewhere, but that doesn't help, that doesn't help us narrow it down to whether or not the Revolution are actually a true contender for him to be um, on the move. But just worth noting that um, it looks like his his coach at least recognizes that he's probably not sticking around with uh, Deportivo much longer. Yep. Yep. Uh, and, and also kind of moving away from soccer for a minute, I just want to point out that uh, right now the Chiefs are beating the Colts 17 nothing. It's halfway through the second quarter. And Andrew Luck, who ESPN tells me is the greatest quarterback of our generation, is two for six with 15 yards and a 42.4 quarterback rating. So great job, Andrew Luck. Wow. Uh, for those that don't know, that don't follow me, uh, I think Andrew Luck is the most overrated player in sports. So uh, just great to see Mr. Clutch coming out when it matters. Um, so yeah, so I think that wraps it up for this week. Unless you have anything else, Sean, uh, you can follow us at revolution recap, uh, on Twitter. You can also like our Facebook page and please feel free to leave a review. So, and I don't know the next time we will do a podcast cause there likely won't be any news. And I, I don't think the third and fourth round picks will be worth covering, but, uh, maybe at the start of preseason, right, Sean, which, which I think is only what, eight days away. Don't they start? It's January coming up 20th very or... quick, <laughs> coming up very quick. So. Um, hopefully we'll do a little preseason podcast. Uh, even if there's not a lot of news, maybe we'll do some season predictions uh, and, and do some fun stuff, uh, see what other players are tied to the revolution that don't come to the team. But um, <laughs> overall, I, I, just the fact that we're doing a podcast, I think it was a very positive day and uh, no real complaints. So uh, if you're, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.